changing reality. Changing reality, where we bend reality all across the world. Only on WQHS Radio. So hey everyone and welcome back to another episode of Changing Reality. Welcome one, welcome all. We're so excited as always to have you guys here with us on our virtual stage. So welcome to Changing Reality. We're a show that features phenomenal people from all walks of life who are in essence changing their own reality. So through this show, we'll be hanging out and interviewing social change makers, entrepreneurs, industry leaders, pioneers, to business owners, artists, musicians, and inspiring individuals from all across the world. And the idea behind the show is that we get to hear these brilliant stories on how they not only change their own reality, but how by doing so, they change the reality of those around them as well. And hopefully by hearing these stories, we are able to pick up those little tiny bits of wisdom that we can use to make our lives better as well. And I'm someone who wanted to do this show simply because I felt like there are a lot of people out there who do phenomenal things and make waves in the lives of those around them. And I'm just passionate about learning these stories of how people are changing the world in their own capacity, because I believe that stories are the foundation that makes great changes. And in all my life, everything that I've been able to do is because people have been willing to share their stories with me. And personally, to show you how important I feel the power of stories is, I actually founded and run a youth movement called Ascendance back at home in Malaysia, which is where I'm from, that collaborates with not only the Malaysian Ministry of Education today, but over 28 different countries. So we work with students in 28 countries to help provide an alternative education platform for any student who wants to change their reality. So we work with students from elementary all the way up to college through various sessions, programs, experiential learning activities, and projects that help them discover their passion learn about themselves and the world around them and get meaningful experiences on hands-on projects that help them come back and start their own careers in areas that they are passionate about and many times while they're still even in school and we've seen to date uh, we've been very lucky to work with over 35,000 students in 970 communities and had had the blessing to incubate over I think countless number of student-run projects and social enterprises run by students aged 8 to 21 years old and the core behind all of this the reason we are able to get youngsters to do all these incredible things is simply because of stories is because of kind individuals who are willing to share their stories, share their time, and through their experiences, inspire others to do the same. And I hope that this show is that same platform for all of you, so that all of you watching will have a space that you can go to to get the experiences that you need that can enrich your life, inspire you, and also give you at least a, a little bit of an avenue to figure out where can you get those experiences that will help you live your dreams. And if you have anything that you want to discuss, any topics that you want to talk about, do let us know in the comments below. Drop us a message down there and we will try our best to cover as much of it as possible. Now, on to today's speaker and on to today's session. Today, we have truly an amazing uh, session lined up for you guys. Uh, many of us want to know where the future is headed, how to get into the tech industry at many times. And often, it may not always be um, a journey that we know how to navigate. Well, fear not, our speaker today is going to share some light on his journey. Um, He's someone who, as I said, is truly phenomenal. He's the Vice President of Business Transformation and Strategic Initiatives at Microsoft Canada. And over there, he actually is responsible for driving Microsoft's business transformation and strategic uh, efforts across the country. And 
is that includes even leading Microsoft Canada's artificial intelligence strategic plan to help people, organizations, and communities across the country turn meaningful innovation into actionable results in a reliable and trusted way. Other than that, he is also actively involved in the company's mentorship program, providing coaching and guidance to new and career employees and members of Microsoft Canada's management team. But even outside of the office, our speaker today is someone who has done so many amazing things. Um, he's someone who has been very kind in the arena of public service. He served um, on the board of, um, I think, their neighborhood center for nine years. Uh, he even has impacted the community to such an extent that in May 2017, he was one of 18 individuals in the province to be awarded the June Calwood Outstanding Achievement for Volunteerism Award by the government of Ontario. So without further ado, let's invite this amazing human being to our virtual stage in welcoming to our screen, Sumit. Hi, Harsha, how are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for being on the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yep. And as I said, we're very excited to have you on the show because there's very seldom, like, I feel we meet people who so amazingly balance their, like, growing into a successful career and at the same time giving back, having kind of like the, the amazing impact you have on others as well. So thank you so much. And like, I really appreciate you joining us here. Um, I'm so curious though. I feel like you're someone who has like life figured out, like figured out, you, you know what you want to do like in your career, you know what you like we do for the community. Were you always the kind of person who was so sure of yourself, who knew exactly where things were headed? Or was there ever a point in your journey where you were like us lost teenagers watching today who didn't know where you were headed? Yeah, well, firstly, I'm still trying to figure it out. So it's a journey. It's uh, it's definitely a journey. Uh, but no, to answer your question, look, I, I didn't know that I wanted to be in tech right from the start. Uh, but it was, I think, curiosity that led me into tech. Uh, and from there, it's been curiosity that's kind of guided me. If I if I look back at, you know, how everything, even in from high school onwards, um, I think it can be summed up by what I call my personal philosophy, which is I seek out opportunities to learn, to drive change and do seva, which is a Sanskrit word for selfless service. So that desire to learn has always guided me from my high school days uh, where, you know, I, I went to high school in the Middle East in a country called Qatar. Uh, and over there, my curiosity got me into, you know, applying for and securing internships when internships weren't even a thing at that point in time, uh, you know, but uh, I leveraged my network uh, and my parents were supportive and I just went and I worked at different places uh, and, and, and a variety of places from the Ramada Hotel. I did. I handled their back office at the Ramada Hotel to uh, working <clears throat> in the tech department for the distributor of Dell Computers, uh, a company called Computer Arabia in Qatar as well. So a vast difference of, you know, from a hotel to tech, uh, but it was just curiosity that, uh, and my desire to learn that's kind of guided me through. That's amazing. And very young to have such a, like, I don't know, a, a well-rounded and kind of like, like I, I would say, important philosophy that, that has obviously guided you well. How did you come about kind of like, like understanding this philosophy? Was it something that that you right from the bat you could contextualize or was it something that you realized was important through like to you throughout kind of like your journey? No, it's taken me years to kind of crystallize it into that uh, into that succinct philosophy, right? Uh, it's taken multiple years, but I kind of reflected back just on the experiences I've had, what gave me energy, what I was drawn to. Um, but it's, it's these experiences in life. Um, you know, uh, people often ask me like, where does this 
desire for doing seva and volunteering come from? Uh, you know, for me, it's uh, my grandma. I was born in Bombay, India, uh, or Mumbai now, as it's called. And um, and I remember my grandmother taking me to the temple uh, uh, quite regularly. Uh, and she would prepare food from home, package it into little packets. And then rather than giving it to the uh, homeless people that were in front of the temple, she would ask me to give it to them. And I remember that at a young age, I'm talking like not even grade, uh, you know, two, where I was asked to give these homeless people who looked very different. Uh, sometimes I'd even say scary to a, to a, a young child, right? But I gave them food. And she taught me that that uh, importance of helping others. She would make the effort, prepare the food, pack it up. It's not just what's leftovers. She would prepare the food for them. And then she would ask me to give it to them. And that has stuck with me. And I think that has always uh, emphasized the importance of giving back. And that's just one, one example of how my desire to, you know, volunteer came about. Um, same thing, you know, I was just, I was curious about how things work. Uh, I would talk to a lot of different people uh, and understand their stories and they were, uh, and that's how I kind of got into different things, you know, and, and different hobbies as well. That's what drew me to tennis on the personal side of things, computer games. I didn't know much about computers. I got together with a few friends. They're like, hey, do you want to play a computer game? I'm like, I've never played a computer game, but sure, let, let's try it out. And that's how I got into it. So uh, I've, I've, it hasn't been clear, different experiences. Some I don't like. I've always haven't been fortunate of, of you know, trying out things that I liked. Um, I'll give you an example. Rollerblading. I did not <laughs> like that. I did not like that. I tried it. I didn't like it. So trust me, that's not part of where I spend my time. So, I hope, you know, you just got to try and learn different things. Oh man, that that's a very very good point. I and I, I love the contrast from I love the rollerblading part as well. Not an easy thing, and but definitely I feel like something that we we often see in TV and we want to try out, and then we and then I think that's how we try out most things is that we hear about it somewhere, we we think about it, or, or we we get some information, and then we want to like, like try it out, test it out. You're someone who's who also at a very young age was um, quite well traveled. You you moved from India to I think Qatar to um, eventually you moved to um, Canada as well. Um, how was it like in those early stages? Um, you're in a completely new place after a certain point in your life, like transitioning there and keeping that spark of learning, of wanting to learn new things. Because I feel like some one thing that happens to people sometimes when they travel is that either they are very excited to learn about new things or that there's, there's too much of an influx of new things that's happening to them that they kind of get a little confused. How was your experience at that young age and your relationship trying out stuff? Yeah, I mean, I don't recall getting too overwhelmed, but that's probably because I didn't pick a lot of things. Look. I mean, generally, if, if you ask my parents, I wasn't the most outgoing kid in the class. Uh, I wasn't the shyest either, but I was in the middle. And, you know, that's always kind of been me. Um, one of my friends best said it. They go, Sumit, you are experienced best in small groups. So <laughs> me, I've always had uh, a good set of friends, not the largest crowd, but deep relationships. And that's how I even work in my workplace, you know, a, a good set of a network, but a deep network. Uh, so to me, that sort of, um, that's always been me. Uh, you know, I was definitely, my parents encouraged me to try out new things from swimming to table tennis to tennis. Uh, but I wouldn't, you know, I I'd sort of selectively try things out uh, and things that I like stuck. Uh, and the other thing is your friends sort of sometimes encourage you. I talked about the computer games piece as well. Uh, you know, tennis was something that <clears throat> one of my friends 
uh, was into and I would just go watch their games uh, and them playing tennis. And then I sort of slowly started getting into it myself. So <clears throat> everyone's got to find their own thing. Some people like to try it a lot and they, they learn through that trial and error process about what works, what doesn't work. And they rapidly learn through that. For me, I, as far as I can remember, I, I was never one that sort of, you know, had my fingers in a lot of different activities. There were a few, uh, but I kind of, they were just, I knew maybe perhaps that I'd like them. I don't know, but I just stuck with, with most of the stuff that I kind of got involved in. All right, very cool. And you also spoke a, bit, a little bit about internships, finding internships even before that was a thing, which I'm yeah. sure a lot on your part to actually go and seek them out. Tell us a bit of like those early stories and and, and why you chose to do it and what impact it had on you in a sense. Yeah, um, thanks for asking that. Look, um, I knew that I was going to uh, move to Canada at some point in time, especially for, for my university uh, studies. Uh, and I knew the importance of uh, work experience right uh you read a lot you learn from others uh and they always talked about look what you think you're studying in school and what how you apply that to reality is very or in the work environment is very different and you might also <clears throat> realize that what you've studied in school you might not actually enjoy doing um so that's where i was like hey you know i gotta get a job let me go try and see what working is all about i'm in high school great but let's see what working is all about um, and, you know, I, I talked to my father and, and he helped me connect me with a few people, but like I was sending out my cover letters and resumes. I went and talked to people and they would ask me, you want an internship for, for what? You're a high school student. This is not a paid, this is not a paid internship. I'm like, I know. I just want to see what it's like to work in the back office off the Ramada hotel or what it's like to work in the tech repair department off uh, a computer uh, uh, reseller. Right. So. Uh, that's what it was that kind of led me to those internships. And then when I got into it, you know, just the, uh, and again, this is a high school student, right? But just the act of dressing up professionally, a dress shirt, a tie, going to work, I felt grown up. I like, it actually energized me. It excited me. I was like, oh, this is serious business. So I would, I took it seriously. I went there. I talked to different people. I learned from different people, people that were much older than me. Right. And you hear their stories. You, you learn from how they do things. Uh, and it was just, I was fascinated by it. And that's what drew me in. That's why after my first internship, I kind of went and applied for something else uh, because I enjoyed the experience so much. No, absolutely well said. I think like, I, you know how much of a big fan I am of stories. That was my whole spiel in the beginning of how much I appreciate stories and all of that. How do you think that those internships that you had affected you as you kind of like moved into like, I don't know, like your next stage in life, going to college and all of that, because you were probably approaching it uh, or like entering college or making a decision of what you want to do with a slightly more enlightened point of view, probably more than high schoolers have, uh, because you did have some work experience, or at least you had some kind of like means of figuring out what you like. Did that help when you decide what to do next? Or, or was it still kind of a little bit of confusion that you had to navigate through kind of the trial and error of, I don't know, college life? I'll tell you, I mean, so from one perspective, it helped. What it did was it gave me confidence, right? And it's not only, you don't only get that from, from necessarily a work internship. You know, volunteering is also another area where folks can gain confidence, meet other people, be exposed to people from different walks of life. So for me, it gave me that confidence to do two things. One is it taught me that I could balance school and something else. So for me, it was that work component. And two, it also gave me confidence that if I put myself out there and I go look for these opportunities, 
I will find some opportunities. I'll find some work, et cetera. And I think that sort of guided me when I came into Canada. And that's what led to me sort of as of the end of the second year, so starting on my third year at university, I actually worked full time and went to school full time. And that came about because I, you know, applied for a summer job, but then I, I had the confidence that I put my hand up for sort of a stretch assignment at work um, during the summer job. And that kind of, they, they loved what I was doing and I loved what I was doing. And they said, Hey, you know, I know you're going back to school in September, but can you continue working? And I said, well, school's priority number one right now, but if we can be flexible about how we work and the hours I work, then sure. Yeah. I would love to continue to do this and learn. So I'd say it was that confidence from that internship years that taught me about, Hey, go put yourself out there, you know, attempt something and, and it'll pay off led me to kind of going and getting that other job and creating this opportunity literally for myself to work full time while going to school full time. And this idea of remote work didn't exist at that time. Right. So it was, it was very new. It was, it was, and then I must thank my manager at that time who took a bet, you know, remote work wasn't a thing. So he took a bet uh, and, and uh, we both worked at it and, and it worked out. Okay. So you, you called remote work for like way before the rest of us did. Wow. Okay. I don't know about that. I'd say I experienced remote work well before uh, the pandemic. All right. Very cool. You, you were so, so tell us a little bit about this time in your life where you were studying full time. Uh, I think you were doing a bachelor's of communication, a majoring in marketing. And at the same time, you had this full time role as kind of a like like an actual company where people were relying on you, dependent on you for your deliverables and all that. Tell us a little bit about how you, you kind of like went about doing it. Like what was kind of like your your secret to success in making sure that both of those managed to to grow at kind of like the same pace and you and then you didn't leave one or the other behind. Yeah, I'll say, you know, a couple of things. So I was doing my bachelor's of uh, or honors in commerce at that time. Um, so a few things. One is prioritization. Uh, so I had to be very clear on prioritizing. There was only that much time in the day. Uh, so I had schoolwork and I knew that was priority number one. So going to classes, getting your getting your coursework done. Uh, and then priority two was the job and making sure that, you know, I was able to fulfill uh, my obligations and my responsibilities. So that means that sometimes you do have to you know, uh, make some trade-offs and perhaps not go out to the movies where everyone is uh, uh, and be, be a bit selective about that. But again, you know, as I look back, I did have a good social life. I did hang out with my friends at university and I encourage folks to do that. Like, don't sacrifice that part of life. It's very important uh, experience in life. But prioritization was number one. And the second thing was also you know, keeping that sort of goal in mind, which is why was I doing this, right? Because there are times where you've got coursework, you've got exams coming up, midterms, and you've got a deliverable at work. And you're like, oh man, why did I do this to myself? Why did I bring, put all this pressure, all of these work deliverables and school deliverables on myself? Why can't I just be a student? And sort of keeping that goal in mind and reminding yourself of why you're doing this. And for me, it was very clear. I wanted to get I, I loved what I was doing. I was passionate about it. So it didn't seem as much as uh, it didn't seem work. It just seemed like, hey, it was, I was enjoying what I was doing. And by the way, byproduct, I'm getting paid for it. So just sort of keeping that top of mind in terms of why you're going after something and why you are pursuing something, I think is important as well. Um, when when you kind of navigate, you know, two demanding priorities, whatever they might be, whether it's work and personal life or school uh, and volunteer interests or school and a job. Uh, you know, you just got to keep that in mind, which is why are you doing this? What's what's the big picture? 
No, I think that's such sound advice. I know at least three to four people at the top of my head who probably are going through that right now. It is midterm season after all. So definitely like, I don't know, really, really like hard hitting on that one. You know, tell us a bit about transitioning full time into the working world. Um, I think you were working at Telus Mobility at that point of time, uh, right after college. Most people were looking for a job at, at that point in their lives, and you already had something that, that you had been building um, personally and also career-wise, and then now coming into that full-time. Did it feel like you have much more time, or did it feel like, you know, this is a breeze? Were there new challenges? How was it like for you? Yeah, I mean, look, Telus, Telus Mobility is a, is a wireless carrier in Canada, sort of similar to a Verizon and a Sprint, et cetera, uh, in the U.S. But um, for me, I'll tell you two things that kind of surprised me when I made that transition from, you know, um, to, to working full time from a student who was doing part time um, or studying and, and working full time. The biggest thing was taxes, because as a student, you get a bunch of tax breaks. Right. So even though I was working full time and earning income, I had all these tax breaks. And then I remember at the end of my first year of just pure work, I was like, what is this? These taxes are kind of crazy. Uh, so getting used to that uh, and sort of, uh, uh, you know, keeping that in mind when you when you budget and realize, you know, what your gross income is versus net. Uh, but the other thing that, you know, uh, uh, didn't surprise me, but I had to get a little bit used to it uh, because in school you have that variety, right? Even though I was working full time in school, you have the variety of school classes, uh, you know, on campus university events. But when I started work, it was kind of this repetitive cycle. It was like, hey, nine to five, you travel to work, you work. If you're lucky if you don't have to work on the weekends, but you work. Uh, and I found that a bit monotonous. And I realized uh, probably about eight months in that I couldn't handle this monotony necessarily. Um, so what I did was I started to, again, that confidence that I'd er, developed from way back in those, from those internships in Qatar, I put my hand up to my manager and I said, hey, are there any other special projects and things that you would want me to work on? I'm happy to lead that or get involved in that. And that got me exposed to, you know, different things that were not necessarily part of my core job. So it kept me refreshed because I always had different projects, something new coming up every three to six months where they'd be like, Sumit, do you want to work on this? Or I, because I was expanding my network within the company at that time by working on these different projects outside my department, then they would come reach out to me and say, hey, you know, we'd like Sumit to work on this. He worked with us before, et cetera. Um, so the one thing that, that you know, uh, if I could leave the listeners with actually perhaps two, one is, yeah, definitely, you know, once you've nailed the core job, put up your hand, uh, take the initiative uh, and, and tell your managers and others that you can you can drive more impact for the company. And the second thing is just network, right? Talk to people in the company, different departments, uh, even if it's something about just book a coffee meeting to say, listen, I'd love to learn about your role. I'd love to learn about your department. What do you do? What's a day in the life of? Build that network out. It'll pay you dividends all throughout. <laughs> No, no, that's amazing. One thing that I do want to ask, and this is something that I think I personally fall victim to and many times is I, I'm always mindful about my external network. So going out there when I'm meeting someone like on the street, for example, and all that. But sometimes I feel we take for granted the places we're already in, be it college or be it like a, like a company that we're working with or a place that we're doing our internship. It's like we're there, so we don't try to network as much as we do externally. Tell us a little bit about how you learned like, like to kind of like reach out to the people in your own organization. And how did that benefit you in the long run in a sense? Yeah, I mean, it started with, I started, I started getting connected with people 
because as I said, I'd put up my hand to go ask for a special project that wasn't necessarily core to my role. And then you meet people and you talk to people. And from there, you sort of just, again, it goes back to that curiosity and desire to learn, ask questions, you know, have the confidence to reach out and don't ever think about, hey, you know, what do I have to offer that person who's a senior executive or who's an engineer and I'm not an engineer? Like, why would, you know, why would they want to spend time with me? Other folks also want to learn. They're curious about your experiences, right? Uh, as well. And they can teach a lot. I mean, at Microsoft, we've got a program around reverse mentoring, where it's actually early in career students that mentor us as senior executives as well, so that you learn a lot from from that experience as well. So I'd say always sort of know that you've got something to something of value to, to offer there. Um, but I'll tell you, you asked about how it benefited me. And, you know, one one example comes to mind when I joined Microsoft, I joined in the advertising and online industry. And I knew I wanted to sort of uh, after working there for about five to six years, I wanted to kind of move into the commercial side of the business, software, cloud, et cetera. Um, and I had joined the management excellence community. It's a community for managers by managers at Microsoft to help us just become better managers and leaders. And I was the representative for the advertising and online business unit in that management excellence community. Um, and I was just, you know, this was a topic I was passionate about. So I was involved, I was leading things, initiatives. And the sponsor, the exec sponsor of that community actually noticed me being very involved. We started talking um, and, you know, uh, six months later, she calls me up and she's like, hey, I've got a job in my department, in my organization for you. I think you'd be perfect. And at that point in time, I didn't have any of that cloud commercial software experience. But because she'd seen me in action in the, in the management excellence community, she witnessed some of my transferable skills. And she had the courage to be like, this is the person I want to bring over, even though they don't have, you know, commercial software and cloud experience. That's how that sort of, I guess, my networking experience, my volunteering, and just putting my hand up and saying, hey, I want to be part of this management excellence community really helped me out because I was able to make cross that bridge from the advertising and online business to the commercial software and cloud business as well. No, that's a brilliant example. And I think also a good segue for us to start talking about kind of like your experiences in my in Microsoft itself. And I think one thing that, that's amazing about you is that as you mentioned, you don't just get involved in one thing or, or like one like particular area. Of course, you've got your core competencies, your area of expertise. But as you mentioned, there's all of these other stuff that you did. When you switched over to, to kind of like I would say new company, new bosses, new people around you, did you bring into that same like like zest or that same curiosity that you had in your previous role or there or was there an adjustment period in that as well that you had to kind of like relearn the basics i would say look the, the curiosity and the desire uh, has always been there to, to learn but when i moved into this new area you know even advertising and online was new to me uh commercial cloud and software was new to me right uh but i realized my priority one was learning the business and learning the role so, you know, I had to give myself ample time to kind of ramp up and then start putting my hand up for, you know, special projects or getting involved in other things. So you got to know when to focus really on sort of the core job or the core role, especially when you're learning something new, a new discipline or a new industry. Uh, so there was definitely that was part of it right at the start, which is just focus. But again, how do you learn? You don't learn just by reading. So you got to talk to people. You got to. So it's kind of they're all interconnected, right? The more people I talk to about what did they do in the advertising and online business and how do we make money in the advertising and online business? I just spoke to more people in the company, expanded my network. Um, uh, and that was it. Uh, so that's what I would say, sort of know when you got to really focus on the core and master the core. That's super important. You got to master 
the core area of responsibility for your role uh, and then sort of, you know, put your hand up and ask for more. The unfortunate reality is um, if, you know, you are not mastering the core, but you're doing a lot of other things, it puts you and your management chain in a very precarious position because you're not meeting your core obligations. So that was always priority number one for me. And that's what I'd encourage others to, to you know, try and see how they can accelerate that, that learning curve uh, and then start uh, expanding their portfolio, their experience portfolio by, by asking for stretch assignments. Very, very well said. And I think that, that I think the best like metric of success is, of course, the metrics of success. Results don't lie. And I think even in those the, the very early roles that you had, you you saw like I think like pretty amazing success rates. Um, I, I think I read somewhere that when you were kind of like director of like Windows Live Services, you actually like drove double digit revenue growth. You did you spearheaded like a, I think like portfolio of thirty five new services. You you generated I think over twenty seven million dollars in sales and revenue with with kind of like your team. That's a lot of like like that's a lot of success. And many people they stay in one role throughout their career to be able to get that kind of success to be able to get those kind of metrics. What do you think enabled you to be able to drive success in a short period of time? Because I noticed it, even especially in those early stages, you were there for two years, three years, but still there was so much growth and so much change in there. Yeah, I'll say. Look, uh, it's one word: uh, team, right? <laughs> so the the team that I worked with, the team that that I had the the honor of leading was a superstar team, really solid team. Uh, and, and we worked together really well. I truly believe that if, uh, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're doing something wrong. Like I want to surround myself with people that are smarter than me, people that know uh, different areas of the business so I can learn from them. And, you know, my role as a leader is just to ask the right questions, to identify the right talent and just give them an assignment and let them go. So a lot of the success that you've talked about here is a credit to them. They knew advertising and online. I didn't, right? I was learning from them when I came in. Uh, so it was very much about just, you know, understanding everyone's talents, listening to them, being open, checking your ego on the side. You don't have to have the answer all the time. You don't have, and your answer and your way is not the right way of doing things all the time. It's really take advantage of the team that you have, work with them and let them do their best work and empower them to do their best work. Uh, and that's what will lead to great success. You know, the way you say it sounds very simple, but I'm a big believer that in the things that actually make you successful, they're simple, but not easy to do in a sense. And I think that like, 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 that's the hard part in a sense. It's good to be good. Like it's, it's easier to be good at your job than to be able to get other people to, to move towards a shared vision, to be good as a whole, in a sense. What would kind of like, like personally, do you, did you struggle at any part of this whole team building like challenge of bringing people together? And if so, what what were kind of like the early experiences that enabled you to, to bring everyone towards the shared vision and to see that kind of growth? Yeah, look, I mean, as I said, when I joined Microsoft, I joined from a wireless carrier into advertising and online. Um, and I didn't know uh, much about advertising and online at that point in time. And actually, funny story, about two years after joining, I asked my uh, uh, the VP that had hired me, I'm like, hey, why did you hire me, actually? You know, um, and he, he said to me, he goes, look, you knew the wireless space, the telco space really well, and that's the knowledge that, and, uh, that we needed in our business unit at that time because we were working with telcos and wireless carriers. And he goes, but I have a large team here that understands advertising, online services, and we can help you teach you that. But I needed you to come teach us and infuse that knowledge into this. So that's a lesson that I've kind of taken away 
which is always look at what experiences or knowledge the team is lacking, where what uh, experiences and knowledge you're lacking, and how do you hire to go uh, compensate for that, right? And don't be hesitant to take risks. This person took a risk on me because they said, hey, Samit understands telco, doesn't understand advertising and online. It's a gamble that he'll be able to pick it up. But they saw me from my past experiences, from the you know the eight interviews I had, you know that, that I could ramp up on new businesses, and I demonstrated that in the past. Now, to come back to your question around, you know, how did I bring that team together? Look, from day one I came in, I didn't pretend to be an online advertising expert. I was confident enough. I was confident in what I brought to the table, but also humble enough to be like, this is what I need you to learn. And that was the conversation I had with my team, which is, hey. I need your help to teach me this, but here's where I can add value. You know, I can help you figure out what our telco strategy is and how do we go increase our revenues from the wireless carriers at that point in time. Uh, and I also paid a lot of attention and worked with my manager at that time who hired me because I was new to understand, okay, what is our collective vision and why do we have these goals set up? And explaining that to my team, ensuring that they were bought in as well. And then thirdly, I'd say is, you know, I come back to that assessing talent piece. That is very critical. Uh, I knew six months into, into uh, working at Microsoft, I had to make some changes on the team. They were tough changes that I had to be made, but I knew that we needed the right person. Uh, we needed the right set of people on the team. And if you have someone that they aren't able to do their best work or they're not performing for a variety of reasons and you let that person be on the team, it actually drags the rest of the team down. And I saw that happening in front of me. I actually had someone once tell me, hey, you know, why do I have to do this if this other person doesn't have to do this, right? Why do you why do you have these demands of me, but not the other person? I don't see them meeting them, right? So I knew that I, you need a strong team uh, and you got to help and work with people to develop them and get them there. If they can't, it's perhaps the wrong area or the wrong role for them as well. And you got to help them find something that they can be successful at. So that was some personnel changes I had to make uh, in the team as well. But I felt like that experience six months in, also garnered further respect from the team as well because they all saw it let's be clear <laughs> you know they all saw it they were just waiting to be like is Samit going to do something about it right uh, and I worked with that individual I tried but at the end of the day we both realized hey this was not the right role for them so we helped them find something else outside of the company and that was that so that I was also I think a pivotal moment in me being able to garner respect of the team as well to be like hey Samit's here to make the right decisions. Some of them are easier, some of them are harder, but he's willing to do that. No, very, very well said. And I think many times it's like leading team or, or figuring out what will get you the respect of that team or, or how to, to kind of like navigate these challenges, especially because I feel team buildings or, or, or like any role at like the level of management that you are in involves a lot of kind of like making sure the right people are at the right place and people are the hardest thing to, to manage, I feel. My mentor used to say that computers are easy, like it's ones and zeros. There's no 1.5 or 0 0.5 at times. People could, could today be a 10, today, tomorrow be a five. There's, there's literally no logic or common sense behind it. So like definitely not an easy like like path to navigate you're saying sorry but you know those are the experiences that you learn in school right like i remember working on a project team with a set of individuals and come on we've all experienced it right where one or two people on the team they're not doing anything but you know we got to get the assignment done so the rest of us are just going to lean in after we ask politely once or twice you just lean in and you compensate for them so these are the experience and in other cases you have some tough conversations and some uh some some friction in the team as well 
So we learn all of that through our university days, our high school days. Those are all skills that you learn that you just have to draw back upon those experiences and see, okay, how did I manage that? How's that going to inform what I manage going forward? Uh, and I think your mentors bang on. I mean, uh, it's about it's about people. You know, they can you want to help them show up at their best. Uh, I always get curious when someone is not showing up the way they've shown up in the past. That again gets me curious about why, what's happening with them. How can I help them? This person used to be a strong performer. Why is that turned around? Are they not as engaged? Is there a motivation factor? Is something else happening? Uh, so that's the one thing is curiosity is always uh, always paid off. Amazing, amazing. Has there ever been any points in your own journey where you feel that you didn't see that, that I would say, like I learned this term from someone recently, the human market fit with your role in a sense, like, you know, we have a product market fit where, where that makes sense. But has there ever been a time when you were in a role which you felt that, okay, maybe this doesn't best reflect who I am or the strengths that I'm in? And kind of like, how was it for you to have to kind of like turn those those questions that we normally reflect outwards, inwards, and see if that was something that like you could make work or move on to something else? Yeah, definitely. Look, I'll tell you. Um, uh, so there was a role that that, that I did uh, that I pursued. I wanted it. It seemed really glamorous, uh, you know. Um, uh, and I went for it. I got it. Uh, a year in, you know, I wasn't having that much fun, but I'm like, oh, it's just a year. I'm learning it. It's okay. It's, it's a steep learning curve. I'll stick with it for a little bit longer, right? Uh, and then probably at the end of year two, I kind of realized, yeah, you know what? I'm just, this doesn't give me energy. You know, this actually takes away more energy. I'm done the learning part of it. Uh, so I was very open in terms of having a conversation with my manager in terms of me wanting to do something else, right? Because I just realized I wasn't able to bring my best because I wasn't passionate about it. This this thing didn't energize me and get me out of bed every morning. Uh, so I had the conversation with, with my manager. It took some time. I went and explored different roles and found something else. So yeah, I would say, you know, A, uh, give yourself some time. Sometimes roles take time to grow on you. Some take a little bit longer. But at the end of the day, you will know deep within yourself that, hey, this is just not something that energizes me. And I'd say, don't try and squash that voice, whether it's, title, it's size of team, it's money you're making, because none of those things will matter. None of those things, they might give you, you know, uh, joy, and they might feed your ego for about an hour, or about a month, at best. <laughs> but then, you know, the money's going to fade, the title's going to fade, because you will, that's not something that energizes you day in and day out. It's the core of what you do. So listen to that voice and talk to other people about, hey, you know, is this the, perhaps it's also what you're doing in your role. So go talk to other people who are in similar roles like you to be like, hey, is this what this role is about? Or do I have, am I in a unique set of circumstances or a unique project or a unique timing in the company where this role focuses more on A versus B? Uh, you know, uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, a product marketing manager role, they've got to do marketing, but they also have got to do some level of uh, what I call business management, right? In, in our company, which is, hey, how's your product portfolio doing? Are you hitting your revenue goals? You know, what's your share looks like? How far from budget are you? How much forecasting are you doing? Now, if you're spending 80% of your time on what I call the business management aspects of the world, that might not give you energy if you love marketing, if you love developing go-to-market strategies, right? So you got to think about, okay, am I getting energy from this? Now, you might be in a situation where it's fiscal planning, where you are doing a lot of that business management. Hey, what's our forecast and budgets for the next year? How do we go attain those budgets for the next year? That might be a three-month period that you're involved in where, yes, you are doing primarily business management, but you got to ask yourself, 
you know, is this short lived? Go talk to other people. Is this a short lived period of time? If it is, stick with it because you're going to go back to what you love doing, which is the marketing aspect of the role. But if it's not, this is what the role is, then listen to that inner voice. Go have a conversation with your manager to be like, hey, I'd love to, you know, I'm going to commit to doing this job. But at the same time, I want to start looking for something else that aligns better with my passion. Um, and look, all leaders, all successful leaders have always aligned their team up with where they're passionate about and where their strengths are at as well, right? So you want to have the right people in the right place, in the right roles, doing the right things. Uh, and if your manager listens to you, they'll know that, hey, if person A, if your passion's not in it, you'll never get the best out of them. So let's find, let's help them find something that they're passionate about. No. I think I think that's a very enlightened approach. And you also mentor, and we mentioned this in your introduction as well, is that you are also someone who's very actively involved in I think um, the company's mentorship program, and you and you provide a lot of guidance to a lot of people who maybe are new newer in their career or probably don't have as much experience to kind of like navigate this this whole internal process themselves in a sense. What do you think is the biggest issue that you see um, people? coming into their careers right now currently face. I know we live in a very weird time where the last two years were essentially removed from reality. But overall, what, what do you think are the, is the biggest challenge that someone coming in for a career doesn't notice for themselves that you as someone giving that guidance, giving that mentorship can pick up? I'll say a couple of things perhaps stick out. Uh, one is sometimes you might not value the experience you bring in. You're like, oh, I'm early in career or I've just joined. I don't know the... Microsoft way of doing things, or I don't know the TELUS way of doing things. And that's not the case. I would say, you know, we've hired you for your experiences, for the knowledge that you bring to the table, you know, and that's why we have this reverse mentoring program, because we can learn from people early in career. So I'd say definitely, you know, uh, talk and share more about what, uh, what you've done in the past, how you've done it, and ask more questions. Don't, don't hesitate to ask questions. That's how we all learn. That's how, that's how uh, I learned when I started as well. Uh, so that's one thing I'd say is, you know, value what you bring to the table, articulate that and 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 share that where appropriate. Um, and then the other thing is, you know, um, network. There's sometimes a philosophy that, oh, well, if my manager is good, they should know everything that I'm doing and they're going to promote me and they're going to, you know, uh, give me the best rewards, et cetera, et cetera. It's a two way street or they're going to help me guide me in my career. It's a two way street. You have to let your manager know and share with them the impact that you're having, not the activities that you're doing in the busy work, but the business impact that you're having. Share that with them. If you believe and, and have the conversation, hey, what does it take to get promoted? Was it, what does it take to get a raise in this company? How does that process work? Right. Ask those questions, uh, uh, you know, uh, initiate those conversations. And that's how you will learn. That's how you will get clarity in terms of what you got to go do. Um, so that's the second thing. And then I'd say the third thing is sometimes, you know, um, look, generally we hire people that have done really, really well in their career in past roles or at school, especially if they're early in career, uh, and it's success after success after success. But sometimes you hit a setback or, or, you know, uh, you experience a setback, I would say, where perhaps your one role or one year in role wasn't as great, or this project that you worked on didn't succeed. And I think I've seen sometimes that can really, you know, um, discourage folks, cause a lack of confidence as well, especially when you're early in career. And I'd say don't don't let that uh, uh, shape you. Right. Look, whether you've had a bad review or a bad project, it's one bad project. It's not a reflection on yourself. You are not bad. It's 
the work that you did this year or the project that you worked on right now did not meet its goals. So I'd say step back, you know, that's what I had to do. There was a, there was a time in my career at Microsoft when I had a setback, right? Uh, I missed my revenue goals uh, for a particular role uh, in a particular year. Uh, and I had to have some tough conversations with my manager. And I realized, look, this is just, this is one year. It doesn't define me. It defines the work I did for this one year. That's what they're talking about. Um, you know, I had to kind of take a step back, listen to the feedback I was getting. That's what I'd ask others to do is listen to the feedback you're getting from your managers, from others on your project team, if the project didn't succeed as to why, and sort of take a step back. I kind of say, step on that balcony and examine that feedback, right? Like, what are they saying about me? What could I have done differently? What other factors led to this? What's in my control? And then just double down, act on that feedback, right? Uh, and, and, and show them that and show the organization that there's still goodness and you can still drive great business impact in the next fiscal. Um, again, listening to feedback is one thing. Acting on that feedback is another. So I'd encourage folks to act on that. So that's the third thing I realized. Sometimes a setback or a failure can really cause uh, a shake someone's confidence. And I just ask you, don't, don't do that. Like there's greatness in you. There's great business impact you can have. Uh, and just listen to that feedback, internalize it, act on it. Uh, and the next year or the next project will be successful. You know, I really love the way you articulate things. It's obvious that you, you're a very thoughtful person that you digest a lot of these things that you're seeing. And, and I, I'm going to be honest, you you put things a lot into perspective, especially because I see so many people, uh, not just at Penn, outside of Penn, who are going through those situations that you that you kind of like, like draw out in your in your in the way that you spread that out. And I'm just so curious that since you already seem like someone who's well experienced, who's got that confidence, who knows where you're going, how did Penn get the good fortune of having you as an MBA student, like? at Wharton well, like, did you just get bored and like, you know what, I want to try something new or like why choose to like pursue your MBA and kind of like join us on the campus? Yeah, look, it goes back to, I talked about my personal philosophy, right? Learn, drive change and do save us. So I'll pick two out of that, learn and drive change. For me, I've been working at Microsoft for coming up to 10 years, I think in and around that time. Um, and I definitely knew a lot about the Microsoft way and here's how we do things. Um, but I wanted to have that external perspective, right? So I said, hey, and I wanted to learn. I wanted to kind of learn the, uh, you know, what I'd call the theory and, and learn from the best professors. So that's what led me to Wharton, which is, and that's what led me to do my MBA, which is, look, I want to go back and learn some of that theory, whether it be around finance, whether it be around strategy, whether it be around marketing. Uh, and two, I knew that I wanted to bring that external perspective, not only knowledge, but external perspective in, and then use that to influence how we do things at Microsoft as well. So that's what led me to my MBA. Um, and Wharton, again, it was, you know, learning from the best professors. Um, it was a great program. Uh, the executive MBA actually had the same number of credits or maybe even 0.5 credits more. I can't remember than the full-time MBA program. So I knew I wasn't getting a watered down MBA experience. I wanted that full. This, this, this wasn't about getting three letters after my name. This was about learning for me. So I, I, you know, um, when I was drawn to programs that offered that full MBA experience, but in an executive format. And, uh, and that's what led me to Wharton and also talking to people. One of my friends was pursuing an MBA from Wharton. So I talked to him about what it really was like and, you know, whether the fancy brochures actually matched up with the real lived experience that person was having going through his MBA at Wharton. Um, and, and it did, they, they talked about it. I went in and sat in on a couple of their classes 
So again, it's that, that, that curiosity, ask the questions, talk to people that led me to believe that uh, Wharton was the right, uh, right school for me. Well, I'm glad that we were so that we could have this conversation and, and like, thank you for choosing like Penn in a sense. Tell, tell me kind of like a little bit about what was the biggest takeaway you had from that MBA experience and how you, you brought that back to Microsoft. I think from, from the little experience that I've had and the little conversations I've had, often the hardest time, like, like thing to do, as you mentioned, is to bring in something different, something with slightly different perspective into an organization and implement a change in it. And that is kind of like your role with business transformation and strategy and all of that. So hats off to you in the first place, but specifically to your time at Warren, what did you learn that you were able to, to kind of like bring in it? And what did you see differently from your time here at Warren? Yeah, I'll say a couple, couple of things. Um, one is, I mean, I love the diversity of the class itself. We had doctors, we had engineers, we had consultants, we had folks in finance in that class. And, you know, being within, being uh, uh, working for Microsoft, a large part of your network in and outside of work is related to tech and Microsoft. Um, but when I started talking to my folks, uh, my classmates at Wharton, I realized that they didn't really know much about Microsoft services, Microsoft Azure, right? They didn't know about Office 365 or Microsoft 365. So there were a lot of things that I took for granted being like, oh, we're the market leader and or everyone knows about our products and services. And when I talked to these individuals, I realized that that wasn't the case. Now, perhaps part of it was I was in the I was talking to folks that live and work in the US versus me living and working in Canada. But regardless, that was a key takeaway for me. So when I brought that in, you know, that was one of the conversations I would have with a lot of my team members and my peers, which is, hey, we've got to make sure that we are investing appropriate amounts in marketing to drive not only awareness, but demand gen for our products as well and services. And the other thing is we've got success stories you've and case studies from customers that have, you know, realized tremendous business value from deploying our services and using our services. Let's talk about that. Let's publish those case studies. Let's, let's lead with that, which is, Hey, here's how other customers in your industry, have kind of realized benefits because don't take for granted that people know the Microsoft product and set of services. Uh, so that was one area. I'd say the other thing that I that I brought in was just, and it was myself personally was, Wharton taught me to take a step back and kind of examine perspectives or examine a business problem from all sides, from the financial perspective, the numbers, from a strategy perspective as well, and that's and leveraging different frameworks uh, when when it comes to discussing strategy and evaluating the strategy, and that's what I brought into Microsoft, leveraging more of those frameworks, but also knowing that you examine a business opportunity not solely through the financials, but through other lenses as well. And sort of the next time we had an opportunity to invest in a new area of the business or to invest with a customer on something jointly we were doing. You know, don't only look purely at the financials, look at them, they're very important for sure, but also look at other reasons and lenses through which you can evaluate that business opportunity as well. So that was a second reason or a second thing that I remember bringing into Microsoft. And I actually recall this experience where one of my team members said, you're asking different questions now than you did before. And that that is what I picked up from Wharton and from my MBA. Right. Is how do you think things about differently? So how do you ask different types of questions to encourage the team to look at things differently and evaluate things differently? Uh, and I remember getting that piece of feedback from from one of my team members. And I was like, oh, 
I guess something has changed. Like I am showing up differently and operating differently. No, okay. And and I and I definitely see the value in, in those things that you mentioned and how basically that that it could cause a change. And I feel like many times that that sometimes just an external like like point of view, the ability to reframe in our own brains in a sense of things that we're processing has so much inherent value. I, as we wind down this interview, I do want to touch on another part of your personal philosophy, just I feel it's a nice note to end on, which is giving back that kind of selfless service to the community. That is very, very important. Um, you are a very busy person, I am sure. Uh, this would be a, a type of service, so thank you for being on the show. But how do you find the time to actually like go out there and at the same time give back to the community, also allocate your time? Um, to kind of like ensuring that you give you you spend a portion of it in this area of your life that is obviously very important because many times when people get to that stage in the career where they are extremely successful, service is something that that it may not be the number one priority in their life, but it's something that you do very well. So how how do you come to that balance in a sense? And for those who probably are watching, why is it important? Look for me, it's about what energizes me. Right, it's what fulfills me. Um, and from a young age, I talked about the the experiences with my grandma. That is what has fulfilled me. Um, you know, some people uh, they they love going to the gym, they love playing tennis, they love doing whatever dancing. Right? Then they're like, look, if a week goes past and I haven't uh, gone dancing or I haven't played my favorite sport, or a day goes past and I haven't gone to the gym, I feel sluggish. I don't feel great. That's kind of the same when it comes to volunteering. For me. I, I that's what fulfills me. That's what energizes me and gives gives me joy right so that's why i've always uh made the time for it it comes back to prioritizing if it's important to you you got to dedicate some some time to it uh and i also find the experience very rewarding um from a variety of perspectives you know volunteering has taught me patience uh patience when i'm you know when i was on the board of the dixie blue neighborhood center we had folks from all different parts of life so there would be you know technical uh conversations that i would sort of zoom through and then someone would be like hang on slow down why are we doing this? Why do we want to leverage this technology or how can it help us? And that's what it taught me a little bit of that as well. Patience, right? Uh, it also taught me the value of different perspectives. I love the discussions we used to have at the board, right? Um, where folks that were uh, in finance or folks that were in HR or folks that were in uh, different parts of uh, um, the society and different, different industries would bring to the table and would examine that 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 situation or the business challenge we're dealing with in the community very differently. And I was like, wow, I never even thought about that. But you're right, like that when once you've said it, that makes total sense. So sort of you're really seeking out and valuing those different perspectives was another thing that I got right from it. And I and I and I continue to leverage that even in the workspace. Um, and then the third thing is, you know, it also gave me Sometimes we feel like it's never enough. It's never enough. You you got to go chase the next big thing. And it it made me realize how fortunate I was. And it sort of taught me a little more gratitude for what I had as well and the importance of what I have in life. Because when you're volunteering out there, you meet people from different walks in life. Some are not as fortunate. So you realize from very early on that, hey, be grateful for what you have. Yes, pursue whatever you want to pursue, whatever passions you have, but do it from a good place, from a place that energizes you, not from a place where, oh, I'm inadequate, right? Or I don't have enough of X. It's, so it taught me gratitude, actually, volunteering uh, uh, in different, whether it be with the Autism Service Dogs, whether it be with the Dixie Bloor Neighborhood Center, whether it be with the mentorship programs, 
it's taught me gratitude for what I have, the experiences I have. Uh, and that's why I make time for it. Um, because I don't feel great uh, if I'm not volunteering and if I'm not out there in the community giving back. Uh, I realize I've been fortunate uh, to live in a great country such as Canada, uh, to have great experiences even in previous uh, places. Uh, but I want to give back. I want to make sure others have those, those uh, great experiences as well. You know, that's an amazing note to end on. I feel like, and especially I love that part where you said about kind of like having that something that gives you a sense of gratitude because I feel like ambition we all have to an extent, but gratitude is what really anchors us and makes sure that we kind of like hit the thing that we want and not all of the other fancy things along the way that can become and distract us. And I feel mm -hmm. like gratitude is what anchors us on that journey. And you, there, there were just so many gems in our conversation that I don't think any summary would do you would do you justice in kind of like wrapping up all the things that you said. But I do want to end by thanking you for for this conversation because I feel like so many people out there that I know personally who are trying to navigate the tech world or who are trying to kind of like get started in it don't see things from that whole large perspective that you laid out for us. So thank you so much for joining us for this session. And I think that for everyone watching, there's definitely so much that they can learn from it, or at the very least, I learned a lot. So thank you. You're welcome. I enjoyed the conversation as well. And if I can help in any way, you know, feel free to reach out on LinkedIn and, uh, and I'll try and do what I can. All right. Thank you very much. And with that, I think, sadly, our episode of Changing Reality comes to a close today. Thank you to our lovely audience as well for staying with us. And uh, if you enjoyed today's show, make sure you let us know in the comments. Give us a like. Give us a subscribe if you're watching on YouTube. And, and for all of you who liked it again, tune in again next Thursday at 10 p.m. ET or whatever time that is around the world for you guys. Till then. Bye. You're listening to Changing Reality. Changing Reality, where we bend reality all across the world. Only on WQHS Radio.